Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. When we come to Second Chronicles chapter number 7, I mentioned this last Wednesday night. We are coming to a portion of Scripture that I believe is probably uh, one of the most important uh, timelines, if you would, in all of the history of the nation of Israel. The temple has just been built in chapter number 5. The work has been concluded in chapter number 5. They've had that dedication service, and the Spirit of God has filled the house of God, and His glory has settled in to the house of the Lord in such a way that Israel had never known before. They have literally felt what it was to be in the physical presence of God as God manifested himself both in a cloud in chapter number 5 and then also here in the beginning of chapter number 7 as he allows the fire of God as God sends fire from heaven and uh, allows us to see that acceptance of those sacrifices and uh, his approval on this temple that has been built to be a house for the people of God to meet with their with their Lord. And so when we come to chapter number 7, this dedication service uh, has ended. God has approved of everything that has been done, indicated by His fire, uh, consuming the burnt offering in chapter number 7. And in verse number 1, Solomon has sent the people of Israel back to their homes now that the dedication service is over. According to chapter number 7 and verse number 4 through 11, the Bible said that Solomon did that. And then in chapter number 12, we begin to look at something that happens the very evening that the children of Israel go home and Solomon uh, receives for the second time an appearance from uh, the Lord God as the Lord comes to him, the verse 12 says, by night, and begins to speak to Solomon. And in his words, we find our, uh, our, our text are of interest tonight in verse number 13 and in verse number 14. We saw verse 12 tells of a disclosed security. That the Bible says that the Lord told Solomon that he had heard his prayer. And I don't know about you, but there's been times that I've prayed and I didn't have to know necessarily what the answer was going to be when I prayed. But what I did want to know is that the Lord had heard my prayer. Amen. I didn't have to have the answer then. I didn't have to have the material, the material, uh, the materialization of what I've been praying for. But I did just need to know that the Lord had heard me. Amen. And And that he knew what I was going through and he and he heard my cry and that he was at work doing his will on what I was requesting Solomon here has given the security uh, in the fact in the statement that the Lord had heard his prayer God gives us a disclosed security in verse 12 in verse 13 he speaks of a desperate situation in which the heavens are shut up by the hand of God to where Israel can have no rain to bless their crops he also not only does he shut up heaven in this desperate hypothetical situation, but he commands the locusts to devour the land, and he also sends pestilence among the people of God. I mentioned last Wednesday night that that verse it makes it very desperate because not only does the Lord not allow the rain to come to add to what they have, but then he allows the locusts to come and to take what they have, and, uh, and what they have as far 
as their provisions and their possessions. And then he allows pestilence to come in the land, not only to take what materials they have, but then when the material is the material's gone and the food's gone and the prosperity's gone, all you have left is your health. And the Bible says that God is the one that by his own hand and by his own choosing chooses to take that away as well. And uh, if, you, if you don't know what it's like to, to be at the bottom where you don't have anything and, 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 and you, your, your health is gone, uh, friend, uh, read the book of Job sometime. Amen. If you don't believe that, uh, that, that, that there's no blessings pouring into your life and the blessings that you had enjoyed are gone and then the, your health being all you have left being taken away is not a bad place to be in a desperate situation, go read the book of Job sometime. Those things are exactly what happened to Job. And I do thank God that he turned to Job's captivity in the end. He turned the situation for Job. Uh, but for 42 chapters, Job was in a mess. Amen. And uh, we know that in the Word of God. But so in verse 12, there's a disclosed security. Verse 13, there's a desperate situation. But then in verse 14, we find what I've called a definitive solution. Uh, the, the land that is being spoke of, the nation of Israel that uh, God has told them when he brings them. Him, uh, to a place that they can worship him permanently, the house of God. And he, he, he is setting up something that you will uh, learn more about as you read all the way to verse number 22. The Lord is telling, uh, teaching Solomon that the Lord's going to bless this nation as long as they are faithful to him. That his hand that has been upon the land will continue to be upon the land and even in a greater way if they continue to be faithful to him. But if they choose to walk away from God, he will remove the hand of blessing. And that is that hypothetical situation that we find in verse number 13. You say, preacher, why are you calling it a hypothetical situation? Because chapter number 7, they're not dealing with that. God says, if my people. He, in verse 14, he said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain. Verse 13. So this is an if situation. Amen. And uh, Brother Caldwell taught that uh, to me a little bit on Wednesday night. Amen. About the ifs in this text. Amen. If, verse 13, I shut up heaven. If my people which are called by my name. Verse 14. And verse 17. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me. Verse 17. Amen. Verse 19. But if ye turn away. Amen. The whole narrative of this text is contingent upon uh, what they do with the if that God sent to them. Amen. And so we see that in the Word of God. But the context here is that God has given uh, the children of Israel a place to where they have spent all of the 42 verses of chapter number 6. Solomon has as their leader praying for the nation, praying for God's blessings on the nation, praying for God's prosperity, praying for spiritual help from God to those that spiritually are not where they need to be, but that God would, would forgive them of sin and touch them in the land and that this house would be the center of it all, that this house would represent somewhere where God can be prayed to by his people and God will meet the needs of his people. And if nowhere else on the planet, they know that when they come to the house of God, they can pray to him, they can worship him, they can feel the presence of God and know that God is meeting with them. Amen. I've told you before, preaching out of chapter number 5 and 6, especially out of chapter number 6, that there is, a, there is a connection between heaven and the house of God. Both in chapter number 6 are called his dwelling place. Amen. So this place ought to be a place where we have, we have a little bit of heaven every time we come in. Amen. 
And God is, heaven is a place where God blesses. So the house of God ought to be a place where we experience the blessings of God as well. Here, God has, that chapter number 6, they have prayed. Chapter number 7, verse number 1, God accepts their prayer and the indication by fire and their sacrifices. In verse 12, God discloses the security for this leader that he lets them know that God himself has heard what they've been praying for. And then verse 13 and 14 says, if it's not as good as it is now, you see, Israel was enjoying prosperity here. They were enjoying a a great... uh, a great situation. They are now, they, now they have the house of God. God has provided, multiplied millions of dollars for the building of this elaborate house of worship. Most expensive building ever built. God has blessed them and they are enjoying prosperity and they're having feasts and they're worshiping God for this great provision. But God lets them know and he tells the leader of the nation, King Solomon, that even if it's not this good, if you'll pray, prayer's the answer. Amen. He, verse 14, gives the indication that it can be applied to the the land of Israel. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, the center word, verse 14, is the word pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, the sin of the people of the land, and will heal, bring healing to their land. And I mentioned last Wednesday night, and this is where we'll spring off of tonight, that we have a land as well that is in desperate need of healing. I've told you the difference between interpretation and application before. Interpreting this passage, this passage has nothing to do with us. It has to do with Israel. God here in Second Chronicles seven fourteen is telling a Jewish people with a Jewish king how their Jewish land can be forgiven of their sins in that Jewish nation. Amen. That's what he's talking about. But every passage of Scripture can be applied to us if God allows it to be. Here we can see ourselves in the people of God. Here we can see our land in a land that's in a mess and in a desperate situation to where prayer's the only answer. That sounds like America to me. Amen. I believe you can apply this to most likely all the nations of the world. We all need God, and prayer is the only hope we have to see things turned around. Here in this passage, we find a a lesson by way of application for this people and for you and I tonight in this land, and as God teaches us how you and I can pray for healing in our land, how we can pray for America. And so we've been looking at that subject, how to pray for America. Number one, verse Verse 14 says, if my people, which are called by my name, I I told you Wednesday night, if you want to pray for America, the first thing you need to do is, is pray as he is. Pray as if you belong to the Lord, because if you're saved by the grace of God, you do belong to the Lord. Amen. Yes, we were not God's people in the Old Testament. Amen. I don't care how you spin it. The Bible's clear that the people being spoken of here is the children of Israel and the nation of 
Israel. There was no church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Second Chronicles. Yes, there was people being saved. Yes, there was people getting in. Yes, God was dealing with them. And the, and the truth of how to get to heaven has always been by grace, through faith. Amen. But God had not given Pentecost yet. Amen. God had not sent in the Apostle Paul yet. There was no such thing as the, as the gospel in the way that Paul was given it to declare to the rest of the world that would get born again. This nation knew nothing about the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, or the resurrection of Christ in plain form, although it was given to them by prophetic pictures. They did not know about it. But you and I now, post-Calvary, now in the New Testament situation of things, we are invited to be part of the people of God. We're God's people if you're saved. So pray as He is. But then number two tonight, let me give you this one. Not only are you to pray as He is, but you are to pray humbly. Notice verse number 14, and this is no elaborate outline, but, but I do believe that it gives us truth here about how to pray for America. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Can I say this, and I believe I alluded to this on Wednesday night, but the only people that can pray are God's people. Amen. And most of those don't pray. So you and I need to really hear the message tonight and really crank up our prayer life because our nation depends on the prayers of God's people. I had a dear preacher friend of mine that I love and that I respect highly. His name's on my ordination certificate. I've got several names. I will not tell you which one it is. But I love him that much that he was uh, to be a part of my ordination. And his name, his signature is on uh, that blessed document that I have in my office. So you know this is a good friend of mine. But my friend made this statement to me. And I don't, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere as experienced as him. I don't walk with God as close as he does. I'll admit that. He's a godly man, been a godly man a long time. But I will say this. He made the statement to me the other day. He says, I don't think we ought to pray for America. He said, I believe God's done with America. And I'm telling you, I, can, I could believe that. Prophetically, I could see God taking his hand off of the nation. I, believe, I see that God could uh, decide, to, uh, to decide not to send revival on a nation that kills millions of babies. I could see God not wanting to send revival on a nation that promotes and applauds perversion. I can see uh, God not wanting to put blessings on a nation that has no problem uh, with, with, uh, with, with, the, with, with sex trafficking and all of the things. Things that we see in the world and we make way for it as a, as a nation, not you and I, but there's things that we prioritize that are ungodly and wicked and God deals with the wickedness of the nation and our leaders turn blind eyes to many of these things that you and I know according to this Bible is wrong, amen, but I'm telling you while God may, can, may, may be done with America, while God may never answer a prayer for revival in America, I cannot lay, uh, I cannot lay in my prayer closet for my country. I do believe even if God never answers the prayer, if God's done with America, that's his business. If God doesn't answer the prayer, that's his business. But I believe you and I, as the people of God, ought to get to praying for our country. Amen. And pray that if God wants to do something in this nation, that he would. You can never expect God to do something you're not willing to pray for. I'm not willing to just say, God, you be done with America. I'm not willing to pray. No, I'm willing to pray even if God never answers it. 
say, preacher, why are you, why are you willing to do that? Because I have, I have children that's going to be raised in this country. I have a church of people that I love that still live in the United States of America. And I don't know about you, but I still love our nation. I'm still a patriotic American. I still like to wave a flag, amen. I still like to sing the Star Spangled Banner, even though the news said it's time for us to have a, a, a new a national anthem. I still like the old uh, Star Spangled Banner, amen. I, I love the stars and stripes. Amen. I'm not ready to turn over yet. I'm not willing to give my country over to the infidels. I want God's hand, hand to be on my children, on my life, on my church, family. Amen. And on the country that I love. If God chooses not to, he's still righteous. He's still holy. I'll still worship him. I'll still love him. I'll still tithe to his church. I'll still attend his house. I'll still shout the victory. If God doesn't do do anything else, but I can't stop praying because he still could if he chooses to. If we are to pray, we pray as he is, but I believe we also need to pray humbly. Praying humbly means that we don't assume anything. Praying humbly means that you and I don't think that we're anything when we pray. You know, talking about what I just said a minute ago, I think part of that could be part of praying humbly. I think part of a humble prayer is the fact that we pray and we ask God for things. And I don't know how you pray, but when I pray, I do. I do tell the Lord. Uh, I try to be. I try to follow Jesus' example, where He says, "Lord, not as not 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 as I will, but Thy will be done." God, I'm praying for this. This is a petition. This is a request. Just simply a request. I can't turn you. I can't twist your arm. I wouldn't even want to. If I twisted your arm and made you, which I can't, but if I could make you do what I wanted, I'd be in a mess every time. Lord, I want your will. You know better than I do. You see this thing to a vantage point. I'll never be able to see uh, the world that I live in. But God, if I can give a request humbly before you, you don't have to answer it. But this is my heart. This is my burden. This is my desire. Amen. This is what, what I want. This is what I'm asking for. He said, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. I'll say this as well, and I may not make many friends when I say this. I've known very good people that are not saved. I've known very kind people that are not saved. They'll give you the shirt off their back. They'll do things for you that many saved people won't even do. But I just don't understand how someone in the biblical sense of the word that is lost and undone without God, never been born again, can truly be humble. I understand that he's talking to my people. I understand that he says the people are to humble themselves. The people are to pray. We already know lost people don't pray. Bible, the Bible says they, they can call out to God. But we saw last week John said Jesus' own words said that, that he does not hear the prayers of the lost. Amen. We, John 9.31, go back and read it sometime. God hears not sinners. But could it be... As we look at this text of what God, what, what God, or what lost people rather don't do, can't do, they can't pray, could it be the lost people also cannot be truly biblically humble? You explain to me how you can be humble when your very life itself is the definition of rebellion against God. Until you get saved, you never humbled yourself to the truth of the Word of God. You are still directly in opposition of God's will and God's way for your life. I don't see humility in that. Amen. 
You may be you may be humble in your interactions with others, but your very life itself, until you're saved by the grace of God, and humble yourself to what the Bible says about how to go to heaven and what God says about our whole existence here, there's no true biblical humility. You see, here's what humility means. To be humble means to condescend. It means to come off of your metaphorical pedestal and to come down to someone else's level. It means to bring low. It means to bring in subjection. It means to humiliate self. It means to be opposed to that which is high or lofty. It means to be modest. It means to be meek. It means to be submissive. It means to be opposed to pride. It means to be opposed to arrogancy or opposed to haughtiness. It means to uh, to be to not be one that is uh, given to assumption. When you're a humble person, you're not someone that's lifted up in pride. And I know that's elementary, but I'm going somewhere with that. When you're a humble person, you don't see. Here's what pride is, and if I can, uh, you know, I, if, if I if I if I use the JLV, the Josh Lawson version, Amen. I I, I, I quote it, but I don't tote it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, Amen. Just a simple country version, Amen. Down to where we are. If I could just say this, the word pride means that you and I think we're something when we're not. Pride means that I'm going that that I feel like I'm worth this amount. You may say, well, I don't feel like I'm worth much. You may not be worth much, but pride makes you think you're worth something. Amen. You ever, had, you ever got mad at somebody because they did you wrong and you say, well, I didn't deserve that? No, friend, if we'd be honest about it, according to this Bible, we're, we deserve a lot worse than that. Amen. We deserve hell. We deserve our spot in the lake of fire. We deserve the wrath of God to constantly and always, being as John said in chapter number 3, always abiding on us. Just laid on us, staying on us. That's what we deserve. Anything else is the grace and the mercy of God. Yes, someone can cut you off in traffic, but if you're not in hell, it's been a good day. Amen. Your boss can short you on your paycheck by $100. And if you're not in hell, it is still biblically a good day. I'm not saying you need to be happy about it. I'm not saying just let it go. I'm saying, but, you, but it's been a good day spiritually because you're not in hell. And if you're saved, you'll never go. We don't have a reason to think we're anything. The only reasons we have in this life, uh, we, 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 we don't have any reason to think we're anything, but we have every reason to think he's everything. Amen. Pride understands uh, or thinks that it understands how much a human being is worth. Humility realizes that in the eyes of God we're nothing. But yet according to what the psalmist said in, in the book of Psalms, amen, that even though we are nothing, Psalm 103 says he knows our frame. He knows who we are. He knows what we're worth. He said this way, the Lord knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but does, but still yet. He has something to do with us. Still yet He loves us. Still yet He blesses us. Still yet He lets us pray to Him. Still yet He lets us understand His Word and worship together and have church and be saved and enjoy the blessings of salvation. Here's the reason why. We are nothing. As Dr. Stan Wardlaw has always said in his preaching, he says, I'm just a zero with the circle rubbed out. That's what we are. 
But here, here's the reason why God blesses you and I. He doesn't come on our own. He doesn't come on our merits. Humility says, God, I know I'm nothing. But the Bible says that because of Jesus, you're worth everything to God. Amen. Here's what humility says. Humi or excuse me, here's what pride says. Pride says that I pray to benefit myself. Pride says, uh, I'm not going to pray for this one or that one uh, because I don't, I don't want God blessing them because of how bad they've been to me. Pride says, uh, it says, God, thank you that I'm not like everybody else. We'll see a passage in the Scripture to where we see that by way of an illustration. But the Bible says here that if we're going to pray for our nation, there must be in a possessive form in the Christian's life a, 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 an element and an attitude of humility. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Amen. When, he says, and pray. I believe that there is something that definitively connects the, the phrase humble themselves and pray. You cannot pray until you humble yourself. Amen. Prayer is an act of humility. I'll say this, and this is, I didn't plan to say this this early, but, but there's a quote that I read. David Guzik said this. He said, there is something naturally humble in true prayer because prayer itself recognizes that the answers are not in self but in God. The reason why we pray, if you're praying uh, in, a, in a way, in a true way of prayer, you realize the only reason why you're praying is you can't handle this. You're turning it over to one who can. Amen. Yes, there are those who pray in arrogance and pride. But I'll say this. The Bible says God doesn't hear prayers like that. If your prayer is going to get through, if God's going to forgive the sins of this nation, if God's going to heal this land, if he chooses to, again, doesn't have to, but if he chooses to, it's going to be because God's people prayed with humility. Can I say this in my study of the scriptures? I believe that there are two primary characteristics that uh, the Lord, and, and we, we could debate this out of the other, but, but there are two themes that I find characteristics in people that God honors probably above anything else, and those two things are faith and humility. God will give you grace. If you, God will give you grace in the midst of some real bad sins directed at Him if you'll just be humble about your sad shape. Amen. Don't believe me? You can think about. You can look at the Bible and find out that that's that, that's exactly the case. I wrote down a few of these this afternoon. I studied the phrase "humble himself" and "humble themselves." Do you know? And and, and I, I do believe that. And I'll mention this maybe here in just a minute. But there is something to be said about the phrasing of this verse being that if God's people would humble themselves and pray, think about this. Ahab humbled himself, and we know how wicked Ahab was. Amen. We know how sinful Ahab was. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 29, Ahab humbled himself, and God didn't bring evil upon Ahab in his days. God waited till Ahab was gone and then sent evil upon his children. You think about 2 Chronicles 12, 12, Rehoboam humbled himself after this godly king turned away from the Lord. Rehoboam humbled himself and God turned his wrath from him that he would not destroy Rehoboam altogether, just completely get rid of him. And God allowed, as the text says, for things to go well in Israel. 
He turned away from God. He led the nation of, of the Judah, the southern tribe that did have some elements of godliness to them. At least every once in a while, this godly king that started out well led them in sin and followed after Jeroboam in the northern tribe that all he ever did was do wickedly. And the Bible said God still allowed things to go well in Judah. What a great God we serve. What a merciful God and a gracious God we serve. Amen. Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32, 26, humbled himself, and God, God's wrath did not come uh, upon himself nor the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 33, 12, that Manasseh humbled himself greatly before the Lord and prayed uh, to God, and God heard him and brought him back from the land of captivity into his own kingdom back to Jerusalem. I think about what uh, Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter number 18 and verse number 4. Jesus said that if one humbles themselves as a small child, that that person would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how God exalts uh, humility in the Bible? We already know Hebrews 11 gives us an entire chapter that God inspired to be a record of people's faithfulness. God honors faith, but God also honors humility. God desires that every believer possess humility. It's one of the attitudes that God values in Scripture above anything else. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, and then he echoes it again in Luke 14, 11, He said, for those who humble themselves, that they would be exalted. He also said that those who exalt themselves would be abased. If you, you, know, you think about the Christian life, you study what the Bible has to say about the Christian life, especially the words of Jesus, you'll find out the Christian life is a backwards way of living. Amen. Jesus said if you want to save your life, then lose it. He said if you want to lose your life, try to save it. Try to secure what you have in this life, and I promise you, you'll lose it every time. But if you'll give it all up for Jesus' sake, God will let you have more than you had to start with. Amen. The Christian life seems to be backwards. Jesus said that the way down is up, and the way up is down. If you will lower yourself and humble yourself, God will exalt you. And I'll tell you this, friend, when God exalts you, you'll be better off than you try to exalt yourself. I think about with Jesus. You know, Jesus in that passage in Matthew 23, 12, he used the word abase. I think when I think about the word abase, I think about Nebuchadnezzar. We all know the pride that was in Nebuchadnezzar's life. We all know the sin that he lived in. You know what God did? God, the Bible says in Daniel chapter number 4 and verse number 37, now this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. This was after everything happened to him. God, the Bible says, uh, abased Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what God had, excuse me, here's what Nebuchadnezzar had to say at the end of it. He said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways and judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase base. You say, how did, how did Nebuchadnezzar know that God knew how to do the abasing in people's lives? He experienced it. He said, I know God's able to abase because God had him eating in the field like a, like a, like a beast of the field. Had him, uh, had, had him being moistened uh, uh, by, the, by the dew of the heavens, the Bible said. He's living out in the field like, a, like an animal. God brought him out there and said that his hairs were, were like, the, like the feathers on an eagle. I'm telling you, you get that bad, you know God himself abased you. Can I say this? We learned from Nebuchadnezzar. I'll say this, even in 2 Chronicles 33, uh, 21 through 25, we learned in King Ammon's life. 
that God is God. You, you, that God can abase. God can bring low. But I'll say this tonight, and I'm not going to take the time to preach that. But King Amnon was humbled, and God humbled him. He wouldn't humble himself before God, and God humbled him by allowing his servants to conspire against him and to kill him in his own house. Can I tell you this? You would much rather have God have. You'd much rather humble yourself than have God humble you. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I, I try to stay away from praying, God, humble me. I think that's one of the most ignorant prayers you can pray, God, humble me. Because you don't know how God will humble you. Amen. Wouldn't it be so much? And by the way, it's a pointless prayer to pray. This passage, St. Chronicles seven fourteen. he does not mention anything about God humbling this nation. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves... I realize that there's people that just by, just by the by 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 their by the just the makeup of who they are are people who are more humble than others. I, I know I know plenty of preachers. I, I mentioned Brother Milton Taylor earlier, and by way of prayer request, if you if you do not know who Milton Taylor is, I have got before he goes to heaven. He's up in age now, but before he goes back to heaven, I've got to have him at this church. He's he's a preacher that has pastored many years, but has been an evangelist as long as I have, pretty much probably as long as I've known who Jesus is. I mean, been in evangelism for so, so long. And uh, he, he's, he's well known among people that I know, but country wide, I don't know if he's extremely well known, but I'll say this, he, he has God on him. He has a prayer life that is absolutely unbelievable. He he he, he studies the Bible. He he's he he. I, I, you know, I, I've 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 been in meetings with him, and I've walked I've walked Brother Taylor out to his car, and uh, when he travels to go preach Brother Caldwell, he has a full bed in the. He, he drives a truck. His bed, at least he did when I was when I was in this scenario. But he had a pickup truck, and his bed was full. It wasn't full of shovels. It was full of books. That's the way he travels with his books. I don't know if it's the best way for books not being beat to death, but his entire trunk, or his entire bed of his trunk, rather, was full of books that he reads and he studies. He's got a brilliant mind. He, he preaches. You'll, first thing you'll notice about him is the, uh, if, if you only hear him preach, first thing you'll notice about him, number one will probably be a speech impediment because he has that. But then he'll say, he'll, he'll, he'll pray or he'll, he'll announce his text, he'll read his text, and he'll say, let's bow for prayer. He's the only preacher I've ever heard in my life that when he kneels to pray, there's about a 30-second pause before he begins. We asked him one time, me and my pastor, I believe, asked him one time, or at least some preacher I know asked him one time, why, do you, why is there such a long pause between when you kneel to pray and when you start leading the church in prayer? He says, he said, I'm trying to get an audience with God. That was his answer. He didn't want to speak before he knew it was time for him to speak. And so he waited on God before he felt like it was time to lead the church in prayer. And I'm telling you, you meet him, he's the most, one of the most humble men you'll ever meet. Another man I think of is Brother Robert Taylor that's preached in this pulpit. Well, not necessarily this one, but preached in this church. Back in one of our low country fellowships, I preached for him several months ago, uh, back for one of his pastor appreciation services. And if you, I don't know how many of you took time after service when he was here to spend some time with him and talk to him, but I've, I've been around him for many years of my life. And if there's one person on this planet that when I see, when I think of the word humility, I think of Brother Robert Taylor. You can't give the man a compliment. If you do, his answer is always the same. Brother Josh, you're so kind. You're so kind.
I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy, but you're so kind. I, I, you know, I thank God for people that are humble. And I believe God makes people that way. I believe that God works that in His people, people who truly walk with the Lord. Because I, I do believe the closer we get to Jesus, the less we think of ourselves. Amen. You can tell, you can tell uh, somebody that spends time with Jesus. Because if they spend a lot of time around Him, they don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about how the world has hurt them and betrayed them and done them wrong. They don't spend a whole lot of time worried about the things of the world. They've spent time with Jesus. They're just thankful to be here. They're just thankful God let them do anything for Him. Amen. You know, Brother Taylor, and I may have mentioned this to you guys before, me and my wife had took pictures with Brother Taylor at the Pastor Appreciation. Brother Taylor didn't even really want us taking pictures. Because the building, and I'm telling you, one of the greatest preachers that God ever called to preach. I believe with all my, one of the smartest men God ever called to preach. His church, that, that, that and I'm talking about this is a pastor appreciation. This is a big day. This is, this, is, this is one of their special days. They probably had less than what we have in here tonight on Sunday morning. I've told you guys before, people, church people, and I preach this on Sunday morning to my home church. People don't realize what they have in the men of God that God has brought them. They're around them too much. I think about how Brother Percy Ray, he, and I don't know why I'm preaching this tonight, but I think about Brother Percy Ray. He, he, he never pastored more than 80 people. And I'm telling you, this country was shook for the cause of Christ by the power of God, and God's servant was Brother Ray back in the 40s and 50s, especially when Camp Zion was founded. It has been said that that camp that God used Percy Ray to build literally held this nation together. He never pastored more than 80 people. They said when his church would get up to about 80 people, Brother Ray would start preaching on sin after sin after sin, and before long he'd get it back down to 20 where everybody was comfortable. 10, 15, 20. People, people would meet him and say, Brother Ray, how are you not, how are you? He leads a camp where there would be tens of thousands of people coming to be a part of that camp. How do you not lead a church this big? His little church... Man of God, little bitty church. Some of the, these men, these men that that, that 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 I have been a part of, I don't know of any that that have influenced my life in great ways. That pastored ma ma massive churches. I think Brother Tommy Turner, that I, that is a is a good friend of mine, probably pastors the largest church of someone that I know very very well, and his church is, I guess, between 350, 400, 500 people. I'm not sure where it is now. But I'm telling you, the people, the, a lot of these people that have big, big ministries, some of the reasons why I've never been around them is I think God's trying to keep me humble. Because if I was around people who had massive ministries, there's a chance my ego may get big. And I'll say this, some of those preachers that have massive ministries, their egos are bigger than this building. If, if, if I, I, could t I could tell you story after story after story, me being a young preacher, me being even a young pastor of preachers who would not speak to me if we were in a meeting together. Not because they know me, I'm just not worth their time. I pastor this. I don't pastor a 3,000 person church. We're not, we're, not we're not going to be able to buy them a car when they come in to preach revival. We're, 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 we're a church that just God gives us who he's given us. And we worship Him and praise Him for what He gives us. And this is, this is what God has for us in these days. Amen.
I'm tell- and I'll, I'll say this, I'd much rather fellowship with a man that pastored 10 or 7 or 20 people and was humble and thankful for what God gave him than, than to fellowship with somebody that had a massive ministry that drew millions of people, but yet he thought, he thought himself to be something and to use the terms of the Scripture when he is nothing. There are people who just simply are humble and they're, and they're humble because that's just who they are. I can't even think of a time, and I, I believe the Lord worked this, and I mentioned Brother Taylor. I think the Lord worked this in Brother Taylor's life. Brother Taylor knows that before salvation, if you, would have find, if you were to look for him on any given day of the week, after about 5 o'clock, you'd find him in a bar stool, and he knew that. And ever since God saved him, took the taste of liquor out of his mouth, he's just been so thankful that, he, that, that he, he, God worked humility in him. But I'm not saying that you have to have a personality like that. I'm not saying you have to be the meekest person on the planet. I'm not saying you have to be another Moses. Amen. The Bible said he's the meekest man on all the earth. I'm not telling you you have to be bashful or shy or submissive in every situation in life just by uh, your natural personality. There are some personalities that God uses uh, because they are a little bit more bold. Amen. I think about Peter. Me and Brother Lewis have talked before, and Brother Lewis said that he sometimes feels like Peter. Amen. And uh, he, he, he's, no, he's not necessarily a Moses. Peter was chosen by God. Yes, Peter had a big mouth, and I'm not saying he does, but yes, Peter had a big mouth. Yes, Peter could very easily put his foot in his mouth at any given time, but God needed somebody with boldness to stand up on Pentecost and use the big mouth that God gave him to preach and 3,000 souls be saved in a day and the power of God fall on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It had to get started somewhere, and it had to get started big and it had to get started right and God used a man with a big mouth to do it. Don't ever fuss at me about preaching loud. Amen. We need it sometimes. I don't always spit and holler just most of the time, but not always. Amen. You can ask my wife at home there some days after I've spent time preaching in this church, all I want to do is be alone. Some of the preachers I know preach the loudest and the biggest and the most interjective. You meet them somewhere out. They're they're some of the quietest people you've ever talked to in your life. I think about Brother Larry Winkler. I don't know how many of you know Brother Larry Winkler. You can't get hardly two words out of Brother Larry Winkler if you talk to him one-on-one. But when he preaches, he preaches in a big way, much louder and much more energetic, at least back in his younger days than I do. But you can't hardly get two words out of him. There's a difference in personality making you seemingly more humble. And then there, here, here's the point I'm making. Yes, God uses a Peter. Yes, some people are Peters. Yes, some people are Moseses. Amen. But here's the fact of the matter. No matter how your personality is, it's not about your personality. God doesn't say use your personality in, in praying. If you're humble, then you be the ones that pray. No, God says humble yourself. Yes, it's harder for those of us that aren't necessarily made with the meekest of personalities. But we still, just, just like the, the one that has a personality like Moses, God wanted Peter to humble himself at every time or two. Amen. And I'm going to have to stop preaching there tonight, but I'll say this. We need to make sure that when the Bible says, Here, if my people, which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray that we listen real close, that we tune our ears in to the spiritual truth that God has. We need to stop being lifted up in pride and learn 
that it is God's will for you and I, whether we're humble by personality or not, to humble ourselves. The Bible said that God's people, he said, if they, if they shall humble themselves. Here's, here's, here's the meaning and we're done. It means there's some that won't. But it also means there are some that will choose to, and God will send His blessings on those who choose to. God will touch this land if God's people will make the choice to humble themselves. If you'll make the choice to pray as He is, and if you'll make the choice to pray with humility, we're on the right track to praying for America and to see God send blessings to this nation if He desires to and chooses to and for revival to come in God's timing. We're on the right track to seeing those things happen. If you'll learn you're a child of God and you pray knowing that He's your Father and He wants to give good gifts to those that are His and you pray with humility realizing you're nothing, you're just a, you're just a zero with a circle rubbed out, but God is everything. And I'll say this tonight as well, and it's not part of the message, but I'll say this. Remember, yes, we are nothing. We are a, we are a zero with a circle rubbed out. But I heard a preacher say one time, you and God make a majority. Your, your value does not come in who you are. You're nothing. We ought to realize that when we pray. But when we also pray, if God honors humility, that's us seeing ourselves as nothing. God also honors faith, realizing that he's anything and he can do anything above even that we ask or think. That's the way we ought to pray. Let's start there tonight. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Okay.